Well, again, it's a privilege for me to be here, and I've got 18 minutes uh, uh, to bring some, some encouragement to you uh, from the Word of God. So if you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to turn to Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, will be the scripture reading this evening. Last night, as you know, we looked at Exodus 17, and we focused uh, last night on the gospel of grace, right? And that we are called to, to keep trusting and keep testifying because of the grace of God. God has been so good in giving us his son, in whom we have life. He's redeemed us from our spiritual thirst. He gave us water from the rock, and ultimately that was Jesus. And because of Jesus, we now can continue to trust and continue to testify no matter how hard our lives are, no matter how many of our loved ones still need Jesus, and many of our coworkers, our neighbors. So let's keep trusting and keep testifying because of God's grace. And so today, I want to I shift our focus on gospel grace to gospel faith. What is God calling us to? We are called to a life of faith, ultimately because of grace. I know this is going to sound very familiar, but what else can we talk about but the gospel of grace and how we are supposed to respond in faith? And so today's message is entitled Gospel Faith from Bondage to Blessing. And here I want to focus on how important it is to exercise our faith because of grace, especially with one another, and how important it is to work together for the kingdom of God. So that's our goal today. So if you have your Bibles, uh, I'd like to read from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. People of God, listen carefully, for this is the word of the Lord. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he arose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, the keeper of all knowledge and wisdom, we ask that you would bless us by your spirit to illuminate these words into our hearts so that these words would bring forth life, especially as we share the gospel of grace with those around us who need to be taken to the feet of Jesus. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, since I only have 15 minutes, I want to quickly get to the story. And from this story, I want, to, I want you to see 
how God's grace is so amazing it can take even paralytic people and change their life forever. People who have been paralyzed not only by their sin, but paralyzed because of sin's effects. And Christ takes even those of us from bondage to blessing. And as he does so, I believe he's calling us, those of us who have been taken from bondage to blessing, to a life of faith. Ordinary people like you and me who can demonstrate extraordinary faith because of what God has done. Wherever God has placed us, whether it's Savannah or Shanghai, Georgia or Korea. And so what I'd like to do is unpack this story. The story, I think, really of two things. It's a story of grace and it's a story of faith. From the perspective of the supporting cast found in this story, you see the main story surrounds this healing, right? There's a healing of the paralytic by Jesus. But the narrator goes out of his way to mention the supporting cast here. And they actually help provide a framework and an outline for us. So first, we want to examine this miracle story through the eyes of the Pharisees that have gathered, okay? So that's the first group. The Pharisees that are watching this miracle unfold, let's see what they have to teach us about grace. And then secondly, let's take a look at the friends of Jesus, the friends of the paralytic, and what do they have to teach us about faith? So that's our outline. Pharisees, what do they teach us about grace? and the friends, and what do they teach us about faith? So let's take a look, first of all. What can we learn about grace, or God's amazing grace, by observing the Pharisees as they watch this scene unfold? Well, simply put, the first thing we learn between this interaction between Jesus and the paralytic through the Pharisees is that this is more than just a simple miracle story. Well, we shouldn't even say that. Right? Miracle stories are miraculous. It's not simple, and yet I think for many of us, when we go to the scriptures, yet another miracle story, so we quickly get to something else because we've already read this all. But I think God wants us to slow down a little bit, take a closer look at this story because this miracle story is more than just a display of mercy to a man in need. You see, this story actually teaches us through the eyes of the Pharisees that God is doing something amazing from all of eternity. See, God from all of eternity had a plan to save all of his children, not just to those who are paralyzed physically, but more important, all of his children, including those in our lives that don't know Jesus, who are paralyzed spiritually. And he would do it through his only son, Jesus. We know this because Jesus says two things in this story that no one expected him to say. First of all, notice in verse 5, when he encounters the paralytic, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now think about that. That's probably not what he expected. That's probably not even what the friends expected. Can you imagine the disciples sitting there going, oh, Jesus, perhaps you didn't get the memo, but this paralyzed man needs more than just healing. I mean, more than forgiveness. That's nice, forgiving him, but he actually needs healing. It seems so inappropriate. And then secondly, Jesus says, in giving the authority he has, to not only forgive, but also to heal, he calls himself the strange title, the Son of Man. So I want to take a look at those two statements. And by looking at those statements, see what it teaches us about God's amazing grace through the eyes of the Pharisees. So first of all, your sins are forgiven. Forgiveness, what is Jesus talking about? Well, the Pharisees help us. In verse 7, they say this, right? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Did you actually know they're correct? 
The Pharisees didn't have it all wrong. They actually were experts at the Bible. At this time, the Bible being the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. The New Testament is not put together yet. The New Testament doesn't really put together, is not put together for another couple of centuries. But here, as careful students of the Old Testament, they, they correctly state that only God can forgive sins. The Messiah did not, interestingly. You see, in the Old Testament, the Messiah would exterminate the godless in Israel. The Messiah would crush demonic power. The Messiah would protect his people from the reign of sin. But forgiveness of sin was never attributed explicitly to the Messiah. And so in their minds, the Pharisees had to make a choice. If this guy, this Jesus, is, is who he is, then either he is God himself or he's a liar or a lunatic. So they have to make a choice in their minds. Does this make sense? So when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, the Pharisees are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you, are you saying you're God? Jesus doesn't say. He just does it. He just says it. Your sins are forgiven. But with that statement, Jesus is pronouncing something shocking. Not only shocking to the Pharisees, but everyone sitting around there. Either he's the Lord God himself come in the flesh to save his people from the domain, dominion of sin and to give forgiveness, or he's just another false prophet that needs to be exterminated. That's how crazy this statement is, if you think about it in that context. See, Jesus is stating something utterly profound, friends. He's stating that he is God. And that as God, he can and will finally forgive sins. Sins up to that point, as you know, needed to be atoned for year after year through the blood of animals. And so with this startling announcement, your sins are forgiven, what is Jesus saying? No more blood of bulls and goats. You see, there's a day coming when there'll be a final, once-for-all sacrifice that will bring everlasting forgiveness of sins. Yes, I can heal him. I've already demonstrated that. But what he needs is more than physical healing. He needs internal forgiveness. First things first. He needs to take care of his spiritual condition and not just his physical condition. You see, friends, in this simple statement, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees questioning of him, we see something utterly profound. Ultimately, amazing grace. Could it be, friends, that God, after millennium, thousands of years of leading his people, is actually coming in the flesh for us? Could it be, Jesus, that you are for us? That you yourself would come and your blood would be spilt for us for eternal forgiveness. You see, friends, this is the profound, simple yet profound grace, which is the essence of the gospel. The good news that God has come to forgive us and to save us through the death and resurrection of this miracle healer, Jesus. But there's more, right? As if that wasn't enough. He calls himself the son of man. Again, a very stark title. Here, the Pharisees help us. In verse 8 and 9, Jesus responds to what they were thinking in their hearts. The Pharisees were party thinking, not only is this guy blaspheming by talking about forgiveness, 
He's so frivolous. Anybody can say, I forgive you. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. But can he actually heal the man? And so Jesus does something truly amazing. He does both. Not only does he proclaim that he is God himself, come in the flesh to forgive sins, now he gives you the authority by calling himself this very unique title, a title that the Pharisees knew very well. It came from one of the most important passages in the Old Testament that described the power, glory, dominion of God, the one who threw out the stars with his hands. In Daniel chapter 7, there's a prophecy of the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man, who will come with all power and everything will be placed at his feet. And now this carpenter's son is calling himself that? The Pharisees must have been going crazy. First you say, your sins are forgiven, and then you call yourself the Son of Man. What is Jesus doing this? What is Jesus saying here, this early in his ministry? Jesus responds to the scribes by demonstrating who he is, not just a God who speaks grace, but a God who displays grace. He gives us new hope, profound hope, to keep trusting, to keep testifying when it's hard. With this simple self-designation, Jesus reveals that he alone has the authority and the power to forgive sins and heal the body. Jesus is no ordinary prophet or teacher or guru. He is God himself. And God is not only powerful. Friends, he is full of grace. You see, because of this statement, he's proving to these Pharisees and to you and me listening today, Jesus has come. God himself. This was one of the clearest pictures of the power and dominion of God in Daniel 7. And Jesus says, guess what? That's me. And so for those of you that are broken, paralyzed by sin, come to me. Because I hold the whole world in my hands. And I have all power in my hands. But I don't just have power, but I also have compassion and mercy, and love. This is our God, the one who holds all the worlds in his hands, but also holds your heart in his hands as well. A God of all dominion and power, full of mercy and grace. And this is what Jesus is teaching us here through this amazing statement, your sins are forgiven, and I am the Son of Man. You see, friends, this story is not just a story about this paralyzed man but it's ultimately a story about each and every one of us in this room who names the name of Jesus. Enslaved by the ravages of sin, shackled by guilt and condemnation, imprisoned by sin that curses both the soul and the body. By calling himself the son of man and by actually healing the paralytic, Jesus is proclaiming grace, amazing grace, the grace of himself coming to save us from our sin and misery. And so after rebuking the scribes, what happens? Jesus says, get up, take up your mat, and go home. And guess what? He got up, took up his mat, and went home. And everyone was amazed. Friends, when was the last time you were amazed at your par spiritually paralyzed friend finding life in Jesus? We need to capture and be gripped by that amazing grace again tonight. Amen? Amen. Now let me quickly go and talk a little bit about Faith. What can we learn about faith through these friends? These I call them the mat men, right? The four mat men. 
the four madmen, what can we learn? Talk about mission impossible, right? Their friends hear that Jesus is in town, already starting to heal a lot of people, and they remember their friend in need. So they, give him, they go visit him and say, brother, we need to take you to Jesus. He's the one that will heal you. Now, these four faithful friends take their paralytic friend, but the place was packed. This is understandable. Jesus was amazing many, but these friends had a mission to accomplish. No matter how impossible the, the mission may have seemed, they did it. So verses 3 and 4 in our passage today gives us a simple picture, but it may be instructive if we examine it a little closer. First of all, as they make their way to Jesus, I'm sure they didn't find, expect to find so many obstacles. Let's count them, okay? Again, obstacle number one was the crowd. It's impossible to get to Jesus. In fact, they couldn't even get to the front door of the house. So there's a gate, a courtyard, and the front door. They couldn't even get past the gate. So what do they do? Sorry, friend. It's just too crowded. We can't get you to Jesus. No, they don't give up. And that's where they meet obstacle number two of the stairs, right? Typical Palestinian homes were made with flat roofs that were accessible by a staircase on the side. Again, I don't think any of us have tried this recently, but I can imagine it's pretty hard carrying a man up the stairs with some sort of flimsy blanket, right? And yet, they do it. They don't give up. They go up the stairs. I'm not sure what they were thinking when they went up the stairs, but they go up the stairs. They make it up, and that's where they make, meet obstacle number three, the roof. Roofs were made with a thick layer of clay, packed by a stone roller, supported by mats of branches across wooden beams. Again, I've never tried, perhaps you have, but I could imagine trying to dig a hole through a dry clay roof is nearly impossible. And yet, without power tools, right, whatever they can find, they somehow make a hole in the roof large enough to lower their friend. Think about, think about this in your minds. They make it up. They don't give up. And then lastly, obstacle number four, what is it? What are they going to do? Are they just going to push him down? No, they can't do that. Somehow through some ropes or maybe some more blankets, they somehow manage to bring their paralyzed friends, friend to the feet of Jesus. So imagine it. Jesus is teaching, sitting down and teaching those who are gathered, and debris starts to fall from the roof. Imagine, we're sitting here, and I'm teaching, and debris starts to fall from the roof. We all kind of stop and say, ooh, that's weird. But since Julius is talking, we'll still pay attention. More debris comes out, more debris. Now, the owner of the house is probably yelling, right? What's going on? What's going on up there? He runs up to, and there's these four friends digging a hole frantically. The hole gets bigger, more debris falling down. Large enough, then they lower this guy. Now everybody stops, right? Imagine, Jesus stops his teaching, startled. This doesn't happen normally. Um, a person, a paralytic is lowered. Jesus looks down at the paralytic on the mat. Jesus looks up and sees, sees the four guys looking down going, <laughs> right? We got you. We got you to the feet of Jesus. Now Mark doesn't record for us here if the paralytic or his friends spoke. We have no record of that. Frankly, to Jesus, it didn't matter. They didn't speak. They just trusted. They just believed. They just had faith. 
the faith touched the very heart of the Lord of glory, the Lord of glory and of grace. And so Jesus seeing their faith, did you notice that in verse 5? Jesus seeing their collective faith provided forgiveness of sins and the healing of the body. Amazing that Jesus would heal and forgive through a simple act of trust, a simple act of faith. It touched the very heart of God. Well, let me just point out five things we can learn here from this story of faith, all right, that I want you to think about. As you think about your own calling to keep trusting, to keep testifying, and to now display faith by taking your loved ones who don't know Jesus to the feet of Jesus. First, did you notice that it's faith alone in Christ that yielded blessing? Jesus reveals to us that it's faith is the only means that they receive blessing. He said, seeing their faith, Jesus healed. He didn't say, wow, you guys worked really hard. You overcome all these obstacles. You deserve something good. No. It's just faith alone that heals. Faith alone that yields blessing. Secondly, do you notice faith is based on knowledge? It's not wishful thinking. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. Right? This faith is based on the knowledge that only Jesus alone could provide healing. In himself, indeed, doesn't Jesus ground his own blessing on the authority he has as the Son of Man? Faith is based on the objective reality of God's person and his power. Faith is based on knowledge. Third, what else can we learn? Faith fuels persistence, doesn't it? Faith fuels persistence. Though they were faced with many obstacles, these friends passionately and tenaciously didn't give up. It's faith in Christ that encourages us, inspires us to keep seeking God, to keep praying for our loved ones, to keep testifying to those who need Jesus, and actually taking them to the feet of Jesus. And one of the best ways to do that is just bring them to church, to the feet of Jesus. Faith fuels persistence. For faith is action, isn't it? It's one thing to believe that Jesus can heal, but it's quite another thing to actively go after it. Faith moves from the head to the heart to the hands. Faith involves action. And lastly, did you notice faith involves others? The paralytic couldn't have done it without his friends. He needed them. And your unbelieving friends need you. And one of the simplest things you can do to your friends that are paralyzed by their sin is for you to be so gripped by the gospel of grace that you want to do nothing more than to take them to the feet of Jesus. You see, friends, you need to be like the mango tree. So independent Presbyterian church, be like the mango tree. And let me close with this. The mango tree is a very unique tree. Because of wind or an animal, let's say a branch breaks off, a little limb. Seems insignificant at first, a little limb falls off. Did you know at that moment when the limb breaks off, the entire tree actually stops growing? And all the nutrients and all the things the tree needs to grow healthy is redirected to that seemingly insignificant broken branch. And only when that broken limb begins to grow again is healed and begins to grow will the rest of the tree grow with it? What would independent Presbyterian church look like if every one of you, knowing that there's a broken limb somewhere in your homes, 
in your neighborhoods, in our world. So many broken limbs that need you. And if we stop thinking less about ourselves and about those who need to be brought to the feet of Jesus, what would this church look like? What would this city look like? And what would our country and world look like? If Christians like you are so gripped by the amazing grace of God said, you know what? I have a paralyzed friend in need. And I'm going to be a friend indeed. And I'm going to carry him to the feet of Jesus. I care more about them than I do about me. And then when you see them get healed by Jesus... Others will cry out, we have never seen anything like this. This is my prayer for you all. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your amazing grace. And as we ponder anew your grace to us, especially in Jesus, the Son of Man who provides forgiveness of sins, may that so grip our hearts that we, like these faithful friends, will think about those who need your grace and take them to the feet of Jesus. May we, ordinary people, display extraordinary grace as we do this. For we ask it in Jesus' name.